Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. This week we're going over USC on ESPN 8, which is headlined by Walt Harris versus Alistair Overeem. This is the third uh, UFC event in eight days. It's been a crazy stretch. Uh, it's been mad fun. You know, I mean, I, I've had a lot of. Uh, uh, I've, it's been very fun for me to, to tape tape study all 30 whatever of these fights um, in such a short amount of period of time. I'm hoping that next time we're in a situation like this, I can just get a little bit more of a head start. But uh, a lot of these fights are just literally being announced a week or two beforehand. Uh, and then again, you got 29, 30 other fights that you got to look into as well. But it's it's been great. Um, what hasn't been great, though, is the, the the last two events in terms of betting. So we're 0-6. That's that's not good. The last one, uh, we had the lock of the night play five units on Hunter Azure at minus 185. The thing that sucks the most is always when you when you see stuff on tape but then it doesn't translate into the fight that you bet on that's probably the worst you know you're expecting hunter hunter azure to go out there and actually uh use his wrestling a little bit more uh grind out brian kelleher stay away from the guillotine choke and then for some reason you know we see the majority of the fight play out on the feet brian kelleher lands one of his patented bombs uh and puts hunter azure out and that fucking hurt uh because yeah that's two straight lock of the night losses in a row uh other dog of the night plays, I had 1.1 unit at plus 125 on Gabriel Benitez versus Omar Morales. That whiffs. They stood and banged for, uh, for 15 minutes. I was hoping that one of them would fall over. Did not happen. Talk about that nasty cut on Gabriel Benitez's shin as well. That was kind of disgusting. And then lastly, I had 0.5 units at plus 300 on Sarah Morass uh, over Sajara Eubanks. That one whiffs. I would take that bet over and over again. Based on what I saw on tape, I would always take that bet just based on uh, you know the, the questionable gas tank of Sajar Eubanks, which she seems to have slightly uh, addressed. So, um, you know, moving forward, that's something that we're going to have to correct in terms of our uh, analysis and assessment of Sajar Eubanks. But she looked good. You know, I'll, I'll give it to her. She looked good. So uh, overall, minus 6.6 units, unfortunate event there. But we are back in the thick of things for this May 23rd, or sorry, May 16th card. Yeah, this May 16th card, headlined by Walt Harrison, uh, um, Alistair Overeem. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit heavier here in terms of volume. Um, uh, if you guys saw my tweet out there in, in regards to the best bets article that I put out on my Patreon uh, for every event, literally everything hit except the ones that i had a bet on uh other than uh the ray borg fight as well too so i picked borg and that ricky simone obviously comes out on the on the winning end but everything else like pretty much everything else was plus money and it hit you know the under two and a half in the tiago moises versus michael johnson fight bummed i didn't hit that that was up to like plus 180 which was crazy uh glover to Another one that I had, I wish I had the balls to go out there and bet, but I, I, I passed on that too. Uh, he goes out there and puts an absolute whooping on uh, Anthony Smith. So this time around, I'm not, I'm not uh, going to pass up on uh, some of these ones that I'm quite confident in. Uh, you know, the last two events, I was kind of just saying, okay, I got my lock of the night play. And then I got a dog of the night play. And then I got like a little bit of a crazier play. Like Nico Price for UFC 249.75 units at plus 255. That had some good value considering the, the effort that we got out of him. And then 0.5 units at plus 300 on Serum Rust. Like there's always, that that seems to be the formula that I tried going with over the last couple of events. But this time around, I want to see, um, you know, when I act upon uh, 
more plays that I feel strongly about how it goes for us. So let's see. We, I believe I have. I'm going to have at least five plays for this card, uh, and hopefully you guys can pick out what what they are with the breakdowns that we got coming up. Um, but also they're going to be posted uh, since they're free. I lost my last event, so the next three at least will be free. So make sure you guys check out my Twitter account or uh, the website because I post them as well, them there as well too. Um, all right. As you guys know, this is the third card now where I've been pre-recording my uh, my breakdowns for each of uh, each fight. I posted immediately on Patreon for my Patreon subscribers just to give them a little bit of love and try to get the content out to them ASAP. Uh, so if you do want to get those breakdowns ASAP, like a like a couple of them I recorded a couple of days ago and my Patreon members got them right away. Go to the Patreon. It's five bucks a month. That's nothing. I I put out a, a breakdown for every single card, nice and early. Obviously, you guys get it for free on, on the the MMA Lockcast. But some of the lines and things may have moved in that amount of time, so you might want to get a little bit earlier. Uh, you get a best bets article, which tells you the at least in my opinion what the best value and bet uh, is either straight or or total wise uh, for every single fight on the card. Uh, you get all the bets, even when I'm charging the the public. For, uh, and then you get a Hail Mary Patreon parlay. And then lastly, you get a final thoughts video uh, the day before a UFC event. But since, you know, the last two podcasts pretty much came out the day before the, the, the video, there hasn't been too much changes in terms of line movements or anything like that. So I haven't been doing the final thoughts videos for that. But the final thoughts video will be back, obviously, for the May, May 30th card, since we're going to have so much time between when I have actually recorded the breakdowns to when the fight's actually going to happen. So ton of content on Patreon for you guys to, to, to check out. Five bucks a month is nothing. So if you want to trust your boy a little bit more, let's head on over there and check that out again. It's all in the description below. All right, let's get into the breakdowns. Great card overall. A ton of interesting matchups. Uh, I went into a lot of these matchups thinking I'm going to go one way. I come out the other. I'm wanting to bet the other way too. You guys will just have to figure that out as we get through these breakdowns. So let's get to the breakdowns. Dantel Mays versus Rodrigo Nascimento. This fight's very interesting because the line is obviously a little bit close. Minus 125 for Mays, plus 105 for Nascimento. Um, starting off with Nascimento, there isn't too much tape on him. There's only two fights that I've been able to see of his. Uh, he seems like a big guy, 6'3", 80-inch reach. Um, he's going to have a slight height advantage on Dantel Mays here, but he's a pretty, he's a thick boy. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, you know, most of the, both of the fights that I saw, he was able to get the fights down pretty easily. Um, you know, maybe the contender series slightly more difficult than his other fight that we have footage of. But once he gets the fight to the ground, he seems very offensive in terms of looking for submissions and trying to get the finish. Uh, he was able to get the finish with relative ease in that fight against um uh martinek on the contender series beautiful arm triangle choke there um but it seems like you know we we, we don't know what his gas tank looks like we don't know what it's going to look like you know come the second round um you know we don't know uh how good his striking is or even if it's passable enough uh to be able to ha handle Dontel Mays on the feet until he's able to get this fight to the ground uh Dontel Mays on the other hand there's a lot more footage available for him you know Obviously a striker and wants to get the knockout as quickly as possible. Very tough fight in the UFC first time around with Cyril Gunn, who's, you know, on his way to the top five. Uh, but with Don Talmaze, there are some improvements that still need to be made. You know, he lost to Alan Crowder via ground and pound in his uh, first stint on the contender series. And then the next season, he he was able to come back, uh, beat Mitchell Seip, and then also Ricardo Purcell. Uh, both fights uh, that, you know, we saw... 
Uh, Dontel Mays' takedown defense tested. Not that bad. I'm kind of impressed. I'll give him that. Uh, he was also uh, able to fend off Mohamed Usman, who is uh, Kamaru Usman's brother. Uh, you know, he did get taken down in that fight, but he did also show really good takedown defense in that fight as well, too. So that's something to keep in mind. Based off the tape that we have, you've got to think that Mays has the advantage on the feet. If he's able to keep the fight on the feet, he should be able to, uh, you know, pretty much go to work. Um more often than not, in these situations, I like to um, side with the grappler, but there's just not enough tape on Nascimento for me to be completely confident in even betting him here. Maybe the under is something that we could look at, uh, but that that's currently not available. The fight doesn't go to decision is currently minus 300, so that's something to also keep in mind. Possible parlay piece for some of you guys out there that like to make those crazy parlays. But um, yeah, I like... Uh, I like Mays here strictly due to the fact, again, we don't have much tape on Nascimento. And and more again, more often than not, I side with the grappler. So it seems like he has a really good offensive, uh, you know, guard here. Uh, not guard, but uh, offensive top game, which is good, especially against a guy like Dante Mays. But we've also seen improvements in Mays' game where he's able to continue, continuously move and get back to his feet. There's too many question marks against Nascimento to to back him here confidently. So I'm going to side with Dante Mays here. I think he knocks him out in probably the second round. Um, you know, it's going to be even quicker if he's able to stuff uh, the takedowns that are imminent from uh, Nascimento. Uh, so I'll go with Dante Mays. Uh, highly doubt I'll play this fight again. Well, when you have such restricted uh, tape on a certain individual, you want to you want to be very cautious in terms of staking money on them. So, uh, yeah, I'm going with Dontel Mays here, but this fight will be more than likely a pass. Yes, I have a co-host for this portion of the, or at least for this breakdown itself. Uh, but we're going to be going over Nate Landwehr. Landwehr? I keep messing his name up. Nate Landwehr versus Darren Elkins. Uh, this fight should be chaos. In my opinion, it has a high likelihood of being the fight of the night here. You know, both guys are a little bit erratic and crazy in their styles and their approaches. Uh, obviously, Nate Landwehr, um, you know, the madman that he is, uh, whenever he fights, he always brings the fire. Um, you know, for when I used to be a little bit more trigger happy with like my fight doesn't go to decision props and my under two and a half props. Um, you know, I always talk about certain guys having the ingredients to actually, you know, ensure that this fight will not go to a decision. Uh, and Nate Landwehr is one of those guys, you know, he's, he's Nico price. I think that if we, um, you know, uh, we can kind of rely on him uh, to be uh, to to be the guy that you know either goes out there and gets the finish or uh, goes out on his shield. And I really like him in this spot um, in terms of being able to nullify the grappling of Darren Elkins. So it's obvious that you know if you watch someone uh, Nate's fights, uh, it's not too hard to get this guy down. <clears throat> but he does a really good job in terms of getting back to his feet and then kind of just raining down chaos on his opponent. Um, he's always in your face like there's certain fights where you'll see like there if there's an exchange where they're they're forced to be super far apart nate's the one running right back to get uh back into his opponent's face and i think that with his style and uh darren elkin's ability to just continuously always get hit uh it's going to create chaotic situations and you know either guy can capitalize on it darren elkins hits pretty fucking hard even when he's the one you know getting beat on for like two rounds or something uh he can still hit hard generate a lot of power and we just saw nate landwehr get you know absolutely deaded by a beautiful knee albeit you know by herbert burns last time around but um i feel like darren elkins with the right punch 
based on the circumstances, the chaos that's ensuing, uh, I feel like he can find Nate's chin as well to drop him and possibly follow up with the submission or something. But um, or the TKO, of course. Uh, Nate Landwehr side, I, I you know I could absolutely see him landing one of those crazy you know uppercuts to the heavens that he likes to fucking throw. He could definitely catch Darren here. He's gonna have this light. Uh, speed advantage as well so that only helps his ability to to land on darren elkins who's a little bit more slower and prodding you know not the slowest guy out there but he's still um you know nate will have an advantage we can definitely see that um the the worry here in terms of the under not hitting is if darren elkins actually gets this fight down consistently as and is actually able to to control nate there everything that i've seen from nate has kind of shown me that he's good at staying out of submissions he's able to um you know uh preserve his time on the ground to to eventually work back to his feet and then again just push the pace and get back into his opponent's face and darren elkins good cardio but you know his his striking defense really plummets uh when he is you know further on into a fight and you know it's been a all signs point to this fight being a high pace fight and one of these guys you know they're really going to start sucking when and the other person's eventually going to take over i think that it's going to be nate that eventually finds the knockout uh punch and is able to put darren elkins away i know that's been a little bit hard for a lot of people who have you know gotten so fucking close but like there were so many opportunities where Volkanovski was going to be able to finish Elkins as well too. You know, one time he got saved by the bell, uh, and you uh, actually twice he got saved by the bell in that Volkanovski fight. But you know, it's just a matter of time, and I think uh, Nate's erratic uh, fighting style and and you know just throwing pretty much everything into every punch. Um, yeah, it, it definitely benefits him here, and I think that uh, he'll be able to take advantage of Darren Elkins. I fully expect. Darren Elkins to to get Nate Landwehr down, but I expect uh, Landwehr to eventually work his way back up and uh, continue to provide chaos. And and Darren Elkins has a little bit of that ingredient in terms of uh, you know ensuring that a fight doesn't go to a decision. Um, you know, again, his unfortunately his chin uh two he does pack a little bit of power and he doesn't mind getting in firefights you know he's not the the like uh, again i expect him to get nate down but he's not the like a an olympic style wrestler or anything like that he'll get you down but he's probably not the best at keeping you down he's he's slow in certain ways with his fighting style and that's just something that nate is going to be able to exploit in my opinion and like we everything you've seen in nate's last fights like outside of the herbert burns fight well, actually, even including the Herbert Burns fight to a certain extent, you know, when he gets taken down or when he gets put in bad positions, he's still able to got it out, get through, uh, get back up, and then provide chaos. And that chaos is kind of what I'm banking on here to actually hit the under two and a half. So I'm going to be playing the under two and a half. I, I believe uh, we got plus 160 at Sportbet, plus 155 at Pinnacle. I love it. You know, you know, the, I, it would be great to... Uh, compare this to the last uh, event that we just had on Wednesday, Michael Johnson and Tiago Moises. You know, that was plus 180-ish, I believe, for the fight to go under two and a half rounds. And these guys have that same thing. I've been kicking myself for passing on that under. You know, passes are worse than a loss, in my opinion, uh, just as my man Rockstar Z says as well, too. But I like uh, Nate to win here. I want to say probably second round, maybe even first round. You could He could catch Darren early, too. Um but rather than taking the plus one tennis that you would get on Nate, I would rather go with the under two and a half to cover it, you know, in case Hawkins somehow gets the finish. So plus 160 for 12 and a half minutes of a Nate Landwehr fight against Darren Hawkins, I'm fucking in. But uh, yeah, for this purpose of the, the podcast, I'm going to pick Nate to win. Um, but yeah, the, the main thing here is going to be the under two and a half plus 160. 
just take that shit home, baby. Mara Romero Barella versus Courtney Casey. This fight is currently lined at minus 140 for Courtney Casey, plus 130 for Mara Romero Barella. Uh, let's start off with Courtney Casey on this side. So it's pretty much well known that whenever you're going into a Courtney Casey fight, uh, more often than not, it's going to be a very close fight. And, you know, it doesn't seem like she does much in her fights, uh, or at least fight to fight to kind of change that. Uh, she always has the same approach, pretty much coming into every single fight. Um, you know, three out of her last four fights all went to a split decision. Two of those she ended up losing. Those ones were to Felice Herrig and Michelle Watterson. Uh, she ended up getting a, a split over Angela Hill in a fight that, you know, she arguably probably, she arguably lost, at least in my opinion. And then in the Cynthia Calvillo fight, you know, she was just a little bit more outpaced, uh, but still very close. She not a missed decision all around, but still a close fight. Um, currently landed at minus 140. Uh, it, it's tough to justify a reason as to why you should be backing her or why you, well you could pick her to win i'm completely understanding of that but in terms of putting money on her it's a little bit ridiculous to think especially when a fight um you know that could be closely contested she isn't a crazy knockout power puncher type of fighter uh she does have volume she roughly throws just over uh four strikes uh per minute she lands just as much as well too uh but the one thing that i find with her like mechanically she is a she's a better striker than uh Barilla, but in terms of um you know striking defense when she's throwing though she doesn't give a fuck about what's coming back at her and that could be a detriment to her you know eventually she hasn't really gotten stopped in the ufc by punches before so she definitely has durability on her side but you know the a better puncher than mara will probably be able to catch her and really uh give her some trouble you know she has no issues with uh counter striking when she's moving on her back foot which is decent for her in terms of continuing uh to to up her output and it's a little bit demoralizing for our opponents to when they, you know, they keep crashing forward, but they're eating shots on the way back. Uh, Casey does a decent job of seeing the shots as they're coming and um, not really getting, she, she does a decent job of getting out of the way of them, but she also has a good job of like, or she does a good job of scoping out like uh, the, the effectiveness of her counter strikes. She, she's a decent counter striker as well too, I'll give her that. Uh, decent jujitsu. Uh, you know, we saw Felice Herrick take her down and then eventually get that sweep uh, and, and you know, get back on top and, and eventually get the fight back to the to the feet. But, you know, she's not the most active from there either. Uh, people sometimes forget about, you know, Romero Barella's uh, third last fight against Taylor Santos against a highly acclaimed uh, fighter or prospect, 15-0 coming into the UFC. And she pretty much grinded her out for those first two rounds. In that third round, though, she really got lit up and... It's hard for me to see Courtney Casey really light her up in that aspect too, but I think that she'll do a decent job of, uh, you know, landing some shots. Casey just has this bad habit of continuously backing straight up. She doesn't, she, every now and then you'll see her laterally move, which isn't too bad. But in terms of moving straight back, that kind of plays into uh, Romero's game a little bit. You know, Romero is successful when she's able to bully uh, girls against the cage, uh, push her weight up against them, and possibly get this fight to the ground. Um, you know, she has a rear naked choke win over Kalindra Faria a couple fights ago and uh, Romero, but it's it's hard for me to justify a side uh, either way. You know, uh, going into this, I want to see if I'd be comfortable enough betting the plus one thirty on uh, Mara. On the coming out on the other side now, I'm probably just going to pass this play in general. Um, betting wise, it's probably a dog or pass situation again, considering the fact that Casey normally has very close fights. 
um, you know, she Casey does actually have a, a, a better output rate. She almost doubles her in terms of output. So if this fight stays on the feet, we can see her outpointer in that way. But again, it's just uh, the, the aesthetic of constantly seeing her get moved backwards uh, may play into the judges as well, even if she's the one that's landing more uh, with Barella cr- crashing forward. I could see plenty of instances over this 15-minute this stretch where Barella is moving forward, but Casey, you know, she is moving backwards, but throwing and landing too. But the thing is, she doesn't really have the most pop or crazy damage off of her shots either she always looks like she's the one that came out of a fight in her fights compared to her opponents which is kind of crazy but uh you know Romero uh, obviously coming off of two tough losses against Lauren Murphy where she got stopped it seemed like uh she, you know she didn't really know what to do in that Murphy fight uh after she wasn't able to get her down after a couple of takedown attempts and then obviously in the De La Rosa fight she was completely outmatched in terms of the grappling aspect uh decent uh you know, decent job on the feet against Montana, but the Montana, you know, I believe it was in the end of the third run where she was actually able to land a uh, shot on Mara that dropped Mara, and then she just read out the round uh, in top position. I th- man, it's tough for me to pick a side here. I'm gonna pick Casey to win this fight. Um, if you're gonna bet it, probably the Romero side is the better uh, bet. Uh, but in terms of like a lock on this play, it's probably the over two and a half. It's tough for me to see either woman go out there and get a finish here. Uh, Casey's not a finisher. Barella's not the you know biggest finisher either. Um, yeah, th- this could be just a fight just pretty much contested on the feet with both girls going back and forth. I'll give the slight edge to Casey in terms of her output numbers. So I think that she might she could win from output, but she could also lose the fight from uh, you know the lack of power in her output uh, and the the consistent forward movement of Barella in terms of uh, making it look good in the judges' eyes. So I'm gonna go with Courtney Casey here again. Just it's this is a toss up fight, and if you're you know capping it and it's a toss up fight. Uh, but you see the plus 130 on Barella, you're probably tempted to take that. And I wouldn't completely blame you, uh, but this fight is too fucking close. Like, uh, you, you really got to have some balls to play, uh, to, to pick a side and make a bet on on this fight. So I'm passing it personally, uh, but I'm going to pick Courtney Casey to win by decision. Giga Chikadze versus late replacement Erwin Rivera. I guess I got to break down Giga Chikadze for the second time this week for you guys, uh, at least for the people on my Patreon. Um, obviously, people listening to the MMA Lockcast, the full episode, you guys, this is the first time you guys are going to hear me talking about Giga Chikadze for this card, but I've already talked about him before. So let me just get him out of the way to, first. 9-2, and two, uh, Featherweight, big win over Jamal Emery's last time around, currently on a four-fight winning streak. We obviously know about his glory kickboxing background. He's training over at Kings MMA with Jafiel Cordero. Uh, six foot, seventy four inch, uh, six foot tall, seventy four inch reach. Pretty tall for the featherweight division. Uh, uses his range very well. Has some nasty kicks. Um, you know he likes keeping opponents on the outside. Uh, his grappling is a work in progress. Obviously, his main forte is the uh, is kickboxing. Uh, but in the Jamal Emers fight, um, you know. I think he kind of got lucky in the fact that Jamal Emers didn't try to initiate the grappling in that first round. Uh, if he was able to do that, that was probably a fight that he would be able to win. Uh, however, he decided to keep it on the feet, and Giga did a lot of good things in that first round. In the second round, however, Jamal Emers does get Giga Chikadze down, not you know, not without a little bit of a fight. However, um, we see something really interesting and... Um, uh, informative about Giga. He did a good job in terms of uh, initiating a, a, a reverse, a sweep. 
he's able to get on top. He eventually finds his way back to his feet. But uh, that just shows that he's working on his game, especially pulling that off against a, a top-heavy guy in Jamal Emmers. That's very impressive. Um, I don't think that's really going to be Irwin's game here. Um, at least watching his last three fights, uh, you don't really see him. I think I only saw him shot, shoot for one takedown. He kind of relies on his pressure. His last two wins are by liver shot KO, which are you know beautifully set up. Um, they were in the fourth round as well too. So you know both of his opponents were really sucking wind by that point. His last fight against uh, I forgot how to um, pronounce the guy's name, Danny Sabatello. Sabatello. Um, you know. Pretty much that first two and a half rounds, he was literally just shooting takedowns, trying to get Irwin down, was successful most of those times, and was able to ride out on top. Uh, as the fight started to progress, even when Irwin was getting taken down, he really he did a really good job in terms of exploding, getting back to his feet, and then putting it on Danny, because that's pretty much where his forte is on the feet. Irwin, uh, you know, former, tight, well, I guess now former uh, Titan FC champion. He's coming into the UFC, which means that he's relinquishing him, his belt at 135 pounds down there at uh, Titan FC. But he's given up a little bit of size here. Obviously, uh, you know, he'll probably go back to 135 after this fight, win, lose, or draw. Um, but he's coming, you know, undersized. 5'6", 68-inch reach. Giga Chikadze, 6' uh, with a 74-inch reach. So he's going to, you know, that, that's kind of Giga's wheelhouse is playing on the outside, uh, you know, using kicks, using his long jab. And I think that's going to be evident here, too. Uh, Irwin's going to have to crash forward, try to crowd Giga. Uh, he has a decent double leg, um, but it's, you know, he, he didn't seem to have the craziest top control either. And with Giga's ever improving ability, I believe he, you know, even if it does get taken down, he should have a, a not too hard of a chance in terms of getting back to his feet. Um, it's all about Irwin crashing forward and, uh, you know, crowding Giga, uh, pushing him up against the cage and hopefully trying to get the takedown. It would be hard for me to see him actually, you know, out strike Giga here. Uh, that is, you know, Irwin's uh, strength, but Giga obviously has the better, um, you know, he has more experience with it. Um, he's been striking for a longer time. Uh, he's more refined in his striking. When it comes to MMA striking is where things will get interesting. If Irwin's able to get Giga to, um, you know, react to takedown attempts, uh, get him thinking more than just about the takedowns, make some hands in there, throw some shots, uh, maybe focus on the body more. You know, he's been working uh, that liver shot. He even released on his uh, Instagram a little quick... Uh, uh, a, a, a liver shot KO 101 training or something like that for people you know he gets he goes out there and gets two straight liver shot KOs he thinks he's the master of that so maybe he can implement that here against Giga because obviously it's going to be easier to you know target the body rather than the head obviously because he has so much more distance to make up there but it's going to be pertinent for Giga to initiate his kicks make sure he gets them back quickly as well too so that he doesn't give up any type of takedown because that's kind of Irwin's path to victory here i can see him just you know waiting on the outside waiting to explode and then you know uh if this fight goes to a full 15 minutes the judges will more than likely see giga's consistent work from the outside compared to seeing erwin you know hanging around on the outside and then just waiting to crash forward and land some big shots um you know based on his instagram it seems like he's been training so it's not like he's just getting up off the couch and and coming in and, and trying to take this uh, fight on short notice so it's good that he's been training um you know it's it's intriguing that he hasn't been training for the specific style of giga you know he did fight a, a pretty tall fighter last time around too i believe um 
Danny was 5'9", so Giga has a couple inches on him as well. So it, it is a big height discrepancy. It's unfortunate that we didn't get to see a face-off this morning during their weigh-ins. Obviously, you know, uh, Irwin's still getting his COVID test results back. So that's something, uh, you know, that kept him from the face-offs. Um, I hope, you know, once I finish recording this, that he didn't test positive and he's actually going to be able to fight tomorrow. Um but I like uh, I like Giga here. Uh, I'm assuming he's going to be a heavy favorite. The line hasn't dropped. Uh, a buddy of mine told me that Irwin is roughly going to be around plus 260. If that's the case, I'm going to pass on Giga. Um, you know, even as a parlay piece, I would be I would steer it clear from this. Even though you know Giga's been training for a specific fight camp this entire time, uh, he hasn't been training for a guy like Irwin Rivera. You know, Mike Mike Davis brought a, a whole different. Um, uh, two set to to this matchup compared to what Irwin's going to bring so both guys are kind of going to be you know trying to figure out last minute how to deal with a guy like Irwin Rivera or how to deal with a guy like Giga Chikadze um I'm sure they would benefit highly as well from the tape index uh for instances like this because uh you know we updated the the tape index earlier this morning to um to 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 reflect Erwin jumping in on this fight in, in short notice, but I'm sure they're they're watching some tape. You know, uh, Giga's coaches are probably uh, at the hotel right now looking up some Erwin tape and seeing what uh, he brings to the table. Um, I, I don't feel like Giga is the type of guy that would have been like, all right, let me watch tape on this guy first before I accept this fight. I think he just like fuck it. I'm already here. I'm about to make weight. Let's just accept this fight take this guy for who he is and you know having a you know getting a win over a titan fc champion uh, even though if it's a weight class below at least it does something for giga's confidence if he's actually able to go out there and get the victory here so it's a pass for me you know no matter what the line gets to for Irwin, I, I wanted to see a little bit more from him in terms of his grappling uh he did good in terms of getting out of grappling positions for me it's more so is he going to be able to continuously close the distance without eating too big of shots uh from giga uh and then con- consistently get him down hold him down uh and what we've seen from giga in the past already uh you know he he is working on his get-ups he is working on his takedown defense um but, you know, I'm not going to say I'll be completely surprised if we see Erwin go out there and actually get a takedown. I would be surprised if we see him consistently keep him down for 15 minutes. So I'm I'm going to take Giga here to win by decision. But overall, as a parlay piece, as a Hail Mary shot, I'm going to stay away from this fight completely. But I'm going to take Giga Shikadze to win by decision. Anthony Hernandez versus Kevin Holland. This is probably top two fights for me on this card in terms of uh, fights that are going to deliver and be bangers. Um, in terms of the odds, it's pretty well set that it's going to be a dead even fight right now. It's minus 106 on five dimes for Anthony Hernandez, minus 104 on uh, Kevin Holland the other way. I think the line is pretty much where it should be. Um, but the part that I'm or the, the line that I'm most interested in is the under two and a half plus 165 currently on pinnacle plus 170 on sport bet i might take the shot on either side but uh let, let's start off with anthony hernandez so this is a fighter that i'm very high on um since his uh debut uh, you know he he lost in his debut to marcus perez back in february of 2019 but he was actually coming off a pretty extended layoff uh due to, well not extended um roughly about an eight month layoff he got suspended for six months due to marijuana after he had beaten jordan Wright within 40 seconds on the contender series um if y'all remember the the beverly hills ninja jordan wright um the can crusher as they used to call him but anyway anthony hernandez uh before that fight on the contender series he went out there and beat ufc uh fighter right now uh brendan allen who in his own right is uh becoming a very uh you know 
solid UFC fighter himself. But that fight, man, five rounds, absolute war, back and forth, grappling exchanges, uh, striking exchanges, uh, very, very fun fight. If you guys have not checked that out and just have a, you know, a free 25 minutes on your hands, I would highly suggest going to check that fight out. Very, very fun. And obviously, uh, we have it on the tape index, so you guys can quickly find it that way too. But uh, Anthony Hernandez, man, he he looks like Cain Velasquez. I posted something earlier today regarding how they look like relatives, but uh, their their fighting style is kind of the same too. You know, it's, it's forward, forward, forward at all times. Uh, Anthony Hernandez has some pretty good hands himself too. Um, you know his grappling is um, you, when, when you see fighters that mainly go for grappling uh, you kind of think that they're trying to you know go for a decision one on points now when Anthony Hernandez this guy likes to come forward and seeks to finish at all times it's uh, you know uh, submission over position for him compared to position over submission for a lot of fighters when they like to implement their grappling. He is always going for a finish. He is always going for it. He's always putting himself in harm's way uh, to try and get that finish. Uh, it was very evident in the Marcus Perez fight. It was even more evident in the Jun Yong Park fight, which was his last one uh, back in August of 2019 very very fun fight there as well too i i cashed the um the fight doesn't go to decision on that one i believe it was at minus 170 which i thought was a little bit ridiculous but in this kevin holland fight plus 170 for this fight for under two and a half count me the fuck in uh anthony hernandez is a finisher or a get finished guy uh he's only been finished once or sorry yeah he's only lost and been finished once in his career but this kevin holland fight you know it's it's going to be intriguing too um that let's talk about the kevin holland side or actually you know what last thing i wanted to say about the the anthony hernandez uh, side of things you know what's worse than getting kicked in the liver and having to recover from that getting kicked in the liver then having to immediately immediately defend a rear naked choke and then a dart choke right after that obviously you're going to tap obviously you're going to succumb to that but uh very big win for marcus Perez in that fight uh but definitely a learning lesson for anthony hernandez he was hurt pretty bad off that liver shot and he was still trying to defend himself you know kudos for being able to defend the rear naked choke in that situation but the dart choke was a little bit too much and then I'm sorry, it was an anaconda choke. The only difference is obviously which side that they have the actual uh, grip on. Uh, from what I've learned, if the grip is on the, the the armpit side, that's an anaconda choke. A, armpit, A, anaconda. And then if it's on the other side, uh, it's a darts choke. So there's your jujitsu one-on-one real quick right there. Um, but in terms of, uh, yeah, it, it's hilarious that he got anaconda choked uh, in his loss. And then the next fight back, he gets an anaconda choke win over uh, Park. And this Kevin Holland fight, man, like it, I find with Kevin Holland, the the finishes come when he's fighting somebody that's seeking the finish themselves. So Gerald Mearshart, you know, in fights, certain fights, sometimes he's looking for the finish, and obviously there there were a ton of submission attempts in that fight. I actually want to get the the actual statistic in terms of submission attempts on either side for that fight, but. Um, Gerald Mearshart, there are certain times where he's looking to just hold and he's looking to just, um, you know, win and get the position. With uh, with Anthony Hernandez, you're going to be seeing him trying to, again, go for the submission over uh, position. He's going to be looking to tie up Kevin Holland, get him to the ground, work to the back, consistently punching, consistently looking for uh, chokes or submissions of any sort. Um, what's that? 
four submission attempts for Gerald Murchard, two for Kevin Holland in that fight. Six total. I feel like there were way more than that concerning how that fight went. But with Kevin Holland, he the, the finishing side of him or get finished side of him comes out when his opponent is the one seeking the finish as well too. The Tiago Santos fight was a little bit of a weird one. Uh, it was his debut in the UFC. But, you know, the John Phillips fight, Phillips has always come in to look for the finish. Kevin Holland was able to find the finish there. Uh, Alessio De Chirico, uh, Chirico, I keep fucking up his name, but either way, uh, that was a fight where Chirico is looking to to grapple up and hold, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Holland a little bit more than he was actually looking to get the finish. He landed a beautiful elbow in that fight, uh, but, you know, Kevin Holland has a pretty good chin, and he was able to sustain that and still come out with a unanimous decision victory at the end of that. And, but in the Brendan Allen fight, you know, Allen from the get-go was, let's get this fight to the ground, let's work for submissions, let's try to get that finish, and it did end up coming to fruition for him in that second round when uh, Brendan Allen was actually able to get this rear naked choke. I expect the same thing from Anthony Hernandez here. Like, it's funny that they have that as a common opponent. And uh, Brendan Allen is kind of a similar fighter to Anthony Hernandez. But I feel like Anthony Hernandez is a little bit more willing to engage on the feet. You know, he doesn't just try to close the distance and then just grab a hold of you and try to drag you to the ground. He's closing distance with with punches, with significant strikes, trying to land some damage and get on the inside. And then uh, I, I believe he's always trying to look for the back. He's always looking for the back. Um, again submission over position or damage over position that is anthony hernandez's game and sometimes it might be to his detriment he only has one loss on his record so far um so i think once the the losses start to pile up a little bit and hernandez sees that's probably not the best way to go about fighting a fight i'm always going to be betting the under two and a half in his fights and yeah obviously it depends on the opponent as well too like if he has uh d creek or across the cage from him i probably wouldn't be as keen on betting the under in his fights but you got kevin holland here who himself is a madman um so i i love the style and the way that both of these fighters clash like i already have a bet on the under two and a half on the nate landwehr and darren elkins fight and i'd say 80% of the reason is due to Nate and then 20% due to Elkins. I feel like this is a little bit more evened out. Maybe 65-70% Anthony Hernandez size in terms of why I'm betting down two and a half here. But Kevin Holland is the perfect uh, you know, opponent to uh, allow for crazy scrambles. I could definitely see uh, a ton of different scrambles, a lot of reversals. But I am, you know, for plus 170, plus 165, I am more than happy to 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 lay down at least one unit to see if this fight actually goes to under two and a half i, I you know when, when you continuously see fighters put themselves into situations where they could potentially get finished it, and you're giving me plus money and two, 12 and a half minutes i'm fucking in uh, i'm definitely in so plus 165 plus 170 it might be between a one to 1.2 unit bet but i'm definitely going to be betting that um you know I, again I'm I'm kicking myself for missing the Moises and Johnson opportunity from Wednesday, um, but I definitely like um, you know Anthony Hernandez to possibly get the I'll call it a dar choke either a dar or or a rear naked choke finish maybe even a TKO from on top but Holland's chin is quite durable um, so I'm going to go with Anthony Hernandez by second round uh, submission but this fight is going to be great this is going to be a very fun fight uh, and I can't wait for it it's the one that I'm most excited for and I fully expect it to go under. Two and a half rounds, but the official pick for the podcast is going to be Anthony Hernandez via second round submission. Miguel Beza versus Matt Brown. Line currently sitting around minus 200 for Miguel Beza, plus 170 on Matt Brown. Let's start off quickly with Miguel Beza. 8-0 
a contender series product who looked very good on that show uh and then obviously in that uh his debut fight against Hector Adana he looked really good showing crisp punching and great leg kicks which eventually led to him uh you know dropping Hector Adana with those calf kicks and then following up with some ground and pound um you know he looks very calculated in his approach he likes to he doesn't take super uh, or too many crazy risks uh he's nice and long for the division as well too um likes to keep his range uh really only unloads when he's certain that he has his opponent hurt um you know it that's very important here against a guy like matt brown uh especially with the fact that miguel beza has great kicks as well too that could definitely come into play here with you know matt brown pretty much getting hurt in every single fight to the body it's it's insane sometimes he's able to come back uh and other times he's just not able he just crumples in the spot um you know uh, Matt Brown, you know, he did come back from his uh, retirement with a victory over Ben Saunders. I believe that was back in December. Just want to confirm that timeline. Yeah, uh, UFC 245, he made his return and he beat Matt Brown in the second round uh, with a ground and pound. Very, very impressive there. But, you know, most of his uh, opponents as of late are guys uh, that are pretty much past their prime. Let's take, uh, you know, uh, he fought Jake Ellenberger back in 2016, lost via body kick and punches. After that, lost to Donald Cerrone via head kick at UFC 206 in 2016. And then uh, before he called it quits uh, in November of 2017, he went out there and finished Diego Sanchez, who himself also hurt Matt Brown to the feet, but just for some goddamn reason had no, uh, you know, uh, no killer instinct at that point in terms of running in and trying to finish uh, Matt Brown because he easily probably could have followed up and, and finished him maybe he was just a little bit worried in terms of what Matt Brown was going to be throwing back at him but even when he like fainted forward after he had hurt Matt Brown uh Matt Brown like really bit on that faint and moved backwards even further so he was clearly hurt but we didn't see uh Diego Sanchez really show that killer instinct that we we are uh, or we used to be used to him with but uh yeah Ben Saunders also hurt him to the body too but wasn't able to really follow up and get that finish either but Miguel Beza, on the other hand, I believe that Beza will uh, see when Matt Brown is hurt. I think he's going to be planning on on using those body kicks, um, leg kicks to set up the body kicks, to set up the head kick, whatever it is. I think he's just so calculated, uh, plays it very safe too, uh, so that he can actually go out there and finish a guy like Matt Brown. I fully expect him to go and finish a guy like Matt Brown. Matt Brown is good against guys that he's able to kind of rush and uh, you know overwhelm with elbows and other ridiculous strikes and pace and pressure but when it comes down to guys that are not as technical um or, or sorry when it comes down to guys that are actually technical and and use their 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 calculated measuring movements to to finish uh their opponents uh matt brown has a lot of trouble with that you know donald Cerrone. that fight was a perfect example of if you're able to establish your game early uh you know keep matt brown on the outside uh, punish him whenever he tries to close the distance it's going to be a long night for Matt Brown and I think that Miguel Beza is very very um, you know uh, capable of implying or or applying that type of a game plan here against Matt Brown uh, I like Beza here uh, minus 200 in my opinion is not that bad of a, a line um, you know Matt Brown I feel like he's just back uh, for a paycheck and that's probably not the best way to go about these types of fights um, you know coming off you're you're literally fighting old timers all the way up until you're you're finally uh coming in and fighting a young upstart who has a bright future in my opinion damien maya jake ellenberger donald's Ronnie, diego Sanchez, ben saunders five you know 
guys that are uh, arguably past their prime and you went three and two or sorry two and three against all five of those guys I think you know it, it's a big step up for Miguel Beza in terms of name recognition and guys uh you know um who legit deserved to be in the UFC um Miguel Beza kind of had a gimme with that Hector Aldana fight it seemed but um you know I think Matt Brown uh, we'll bring out a little bit more in Bayzan, but he's definitely going to need this in terms of an, a learning experience. Uh, he's going to need to be there in a guy who's, you know, pretty much been fighting for a long fucking time and has a really good name. I'm sure Miguel Beza, in one way or another, kind of looks up to Matt Brown in terms of his style. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, as long as he doesn't let the bright lights and, and the veteran that's staring across from him get to him, uh, he should have a, a, he should be very successful. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I really like Miguel Beza in this spot. I don't see in which way um, Brown could win this. Uh, last thing I do want to touch on Brown uh, is the fact that uh, he does have a good jiu-jitsu game too. It's very uh, um, overlooked due to the fact that he's always going out there and, and rushing guys and giving us those halbos that we're, we, we've come to love from Matt Brown in very entertaining fights. But, uh, you know, if... If he needs to get this fight to the ground, I think that's kind of where he could be successful at. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be successful at actually getting Beza down. Beza moves very well. His takedown defense, you know, is decent. Um, I think that he'll keep Matt Brown on the outside, completely pick him apart there. And then whenever Brown, uh, you know, leaves that body a little bit too open, we'll see Beza catch that body, drop Matt Brown, and then eventually get a finish. It's crazy. I don't, I can't remember any fighter other, maybe than Donald Cerrone, but I, I can't remember any other fighter that's been hurt that much to the body uh, and for some reason is just never able to get over that. I'm not sure, like, it's kind of similar to like a chin issue, but they kind of have like a, a tummy issue, if you want to call it that, or a liver issue, uh, whatever the fuck it is. But either way, uh, Matt Brown pretty much gets hurt every fight to the body and I expect Miguel's Beza to be targeting that or at least send a game plan around uh you know finding a way to open up the body of uh, uh of matt brown so maybe it's you know consistent leg kicks thinking that the legs are always going to come low and then finally go to the body or throw head kicks uh, more often and you know make matt brown think that you're actually going up there instead you rip a body shot uh and then open up the the rest of the game for yourself uh through that but yeah i love beza uh, minus 200, not a bad line, possible lock of the night play, nothing confirmed yet, but I'm going to continue to go through this card and see what, where, I, where I'm at, uh, but yeah, I like Beza to win here by finish as well, so I'm going to say second round, uh, and uh, yeah, Miguel Beza by finish. Song Yudong versus Marlon Vera, this is a very intriguing fight due to the fact that both guys are still um, people that are most fighters considered to be prospects. And I say that lightly with Marlon Vera due to the fact that he's been around in the UFC for a long time now, but he seems to be a fighter that a lot of people keep saying, okay, he has potential that he still has yet to fill. And uh, though he's been on a bit of a winning streak right now, uh, what is that, five straight wins that he's, or yeah, five straight wins that he's currently on, um, you know, I still feel like he hasn't really fought somebody at that upper restaurant level. And when he does, he comes out on the short end um, not saying that Douglas Silva DeAndrade is a world beat or anything like that, but it's guys with specific styles that are able to break Marlon Vera, in my opinion. So um, the line uh, earlier when I saw it, it was minus 200 for Song Yudong. Now it's minus 175. A little bit of action has come in on, Mar come in on Marlon Vera. Now he's sitting at plus 155. Uh, Song Yudong, minus 175. Uh, I, I may have gotten that wrong. Minus 200 earlier for Song Yudong. Now he's minus 175. Either way, I think 
I really like that spot. <laughs> so let's let's get into the actual breakdown aspect of it. So with Marlon Vera, um, I feel like when you have a fighter that has the type of style that Song Yudong does, you know that that really challenges Marlon Vera to get the rest of his game going, and it really demoralizes him. So uh, the best example, there's three good examples you can find of Marlon Vera fighting as fighting a fighter that's somewhat similar to Song Yudong. We got John Lineker, Douglas Silva de Andrade, and Guido Canetti. You know, these guys are somewhat stockier opponents. Um, they vary in, a, in, in, in size a little bit, uh, but they all, you know, ha- pack a ton of power. Their main game plan is to go out there and try to knock your head off. Um, you know, Song Yudong a little bit more fancy than those other guys, throwing a little bit more spinning stuff. Douglas Silva de Andrade obviously does that as well too, but uh, Yudong Song does it a little bit better in my opinion. And then, uh, you know, the difference uh, between uh, you know, the, the win that Marlon Vera got over Guido Canetti compared to Douglas over Dion George and John Lineker was the fact that those other, the, the, the two fighters that he lost to uh, had the cardio to be able to keep up and uh, keep those pay, keep that pace up. You know, Silva Dion George may not have the greatest cardio, but was able to actually uh, still inflict that type of damage. Guido Canetti, on the other hand, he has like a round and a half of gas. After that, uh, he allows his opponents to really take over. And, um, you know, the rear naked choke that Marlon Vera got over him in that fight was very impressive. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think Guido Canetti is the level of Song Yudong. And then obviously all those other opponents, uh, Willie Gibirin, uh Frankie Science, No Helen uh, Hernandez, Andre Ewell. You know, I don't think Marlon Vera fears getting into a, a firefight with them, which is why we saw him a little bit more loose with the trigger with those guys. <coughs> Apologies. But if you see him... Uh, fight a guy like Yudong Song. I think he's going to respect the power of Yudong a little bit too much. You know, Song really likes to come forward, throw a ton of heat, likes to throw spinning shit, shit every now and then. But training at Team Alpha Male, you know, he I believe that he has wrestling in his back pocket too. But I don't think he's going to need to lean on it at all because his striking is just that good. Um, you know, he's 21 years old uh, and has had over 19 fights at this time. That's insane. Uh, I heard a statistic, not a statistic, but a fact that he had uh, lied about his age uh, earlier in his career so that he could start getting fights. And this kid's weathered for it, man. He, he is he is ready for the big stage. He, is, he may not be ready for a title shot or anything like that, but I believe he can beat guys uh, with, the, with the level of Marlon Vera. You know, the Alejandro Perez knockout was beautiful, set that up beautiful with that right cross. Um, Vince Morales was a good win for him as well. Felipe Arantes was his first like legitimate win in the UFC. That was his second uh, UFC fight as well. And then obviously the Cody Stamen fight probably should have came out on the losing end there. Uh, it didn't help that he had the um, that illegal knee in the first round. Uh, that fight probably should have been scored for Cody Stamen, but it doesn't really matter because he came out with a draw. Uh, and that's not the type of style that Marlon Vera is going to be going for here. Uh, Cody Stamen, obviously a much better wrestler than Marlon Vera. So I believe that, uh, you know, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that Cody Stamen was able to get Yadong Song down in that third round. I don't think we'll see those types of takedowns uh, from Marlon Vera. Um yeah, I, I like Yudong Song here. And you got to think that, uh, you know, his sub- submission defense is on point two uh, while working with Team Alpha Male as much as he has recently. Um, you know, he has been spending time with them, which is good. Um, it's very helpful that uh, he has, uh, you know, submission specialists like the Team Alpha Male guys, especially with the guillotine jokes, kind of teaching him the ways around that. And I think that this is a perfectly matched fight for him for Marlon Vera. I think there is... 
some it's tough to call it recency bias when it's been five straight wins for Marlon Vera, but there is there's got to be a little bit. You know, you you gotta you gotta really look at the matchups directly and see. Okay, you know, these were all winnable matchups for him, but with the Song Yudong style. I don't know. I, I don't think he'll be able to really. I, I think he will be demoralized. I think he will uh, get uh, will be broke as well too. I think Yudong Song will continue to keep moving forward, land big shots, walk through whatever Marlon Vera is going to bring towards him. And Marlon Vera is not like a huge one punch knockout power type of guy or a one kick knockout type of guy. He's not. He is just not that dude. Uh, but Yudong Song is. You know that beautiful elbow that he had against. Um, uh, who do you, who the hell did he? Oh, uh, Felipe Aranches. That was a beautiful elbow uh, off the break of a clinch uh, that he was able to land there. And with Marlon Vera, you know, I don't I don't think he has too much to worry about here. Uh, I think the biggest threat that Marlon Vera does pose is you know maybe off of his back or or you know if this fight gets into the grappling uh, realm, uh, his jujitsu is pretty good. I'll give him that. He's very crafty. Uh, he's very flexible as a fighter as well too. So he's able to get his legs up there really quickly. But I'm not sure if Yudong Song is actually even going to try to f- like fuck around on the ground here. I think he's going to do his best to keep this fight on the feet. And even if it does get to the ground, I think he'll be able to play it safe enough to be able to stay out of the um, uh, submission attempts of Marlon Vera. So I like Yudong Song here very very much. Uh, minus 175 is is a very good price tag um you know where i'm literally recording this 10 minutes before the next or the the wednesday ufc is about to start and you know i'm pretty sure i might even pull the trigger on him tonight uh not 100 sure yet i i like i really like miguel beza as well too that's a uh, that's a fighter that i was looking at minus 200 is pretty pretty good there uh but yeah song Yudong is 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 a great spot here uh, i'm I might pick both of them as my lock of the night plays. I'm not 100% sure yet. I got to I got to figure that out. I don't want to be a little bit, you know, I don't want to be too trigger happy with my lock of the night plays. Maybe put three and a half units on both of them or five units on one of them. We'll we'll have to figure that out and see. We'll see where the rest of the value lays for dogs throughout the card as well too um and see how we're able to go about this from a risk management standpoint. But yeah, I love Song Yudong. Um love 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 him. Um I like fading Marlon Vera. I did fade him against uh, when he fought uh, Frankie Science. Uh, that was a bad bet. You know what I mean? I, I really thought that Science was going to be able to grind him out. He couldn't even get you know close distance before Marlon Vera put him out. And I attribute that more to uh, Frankie Science's age um, and obviously not being the best striker. And uh, yeah, it, you know, Marlon Vera is no knockout Francis Ngannou type guy. So I think Song Yudong will be fine, uh, you know, especially when he starts initiating these firefight exchanges, which is when he'll be able to dish out most of his damage and also break Marlon Vera in the meantime. Uh, but yeah, Song Yudong, I'm going to take him to win. Uh, man, he could possibly even finish this fight too. But just to be on the safe side, I'm going to say Song Yudong by, by decision. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to say Song Yudong by by second round TKO. I think he just continuously puts it on Vera. Vera is quite durable, but I think that when he feels the power of Song Yudong, uh, he's really going to crumble and it's it's going to be tough. You know, he did go to a decision against John Lineker and Douglas Silva de Andrade, um, but I feel like Song Yudong is just a, a slightly faster, uh, slightly more technical uh, and and a better cardio version of those two prior fighters. Man, I would have loved to see Song Yudong versus John Lineker at one point if uh, John Lineker was still in the UFC, but I guess I'll just have to dream about that. But all right, I'll, I'll finish this breakdown with uh, Song Yudong to win by second round TKO. Christoph Jocko versus Eric Anders. This is a weird fight to cap. You know, um, technically, you got to go with Christoph Jocko in terms of being the better 
uh, striker, the overall better fighter. But with Eric Anders, you can't, uh, you know, neglect or look past his athleticism and his power. Um, so let's start off with Christoph Jotko. We've seen a different fighter uh, or a different type of fighter from uh, Christoph Jotko since his loss to Brad Tavares. Uh, that was actually the second of two straight knockout losses uh, in fights that he was arguably winning up until that point. Um, the Brad Tavares one, obviously, a little bit closer than the Uriah Hall one, but he still ended up finding himself knocked out in both fights. Uh, in the Alan Amandowski fights and the Mark Andre Berriot fight, um, you'll, you'll obviously realize that he goes about it, uh, his fights in a different um, approach. Um, he uses his hands to set up his grappling, and then he closes the distance, try to latch on to you, you know, pretty much clinch fuck you uh, in the Amadovsky fight it was more so a, a grapple fuck where he just ended up continuously getting him down uh negating the power that Allen was throwing uh in return uh you know reducing the chances of him actually getting knocked out and obviously he did the same thing in the Mark Andre Berrio fight but he had a little bit harder of a time getting Berrio down um so it got a little bit dicey for him there but he was still able to pull out the split decision victory on the other hand with Eric Anders um, I think he's going to have a harder time tying up Anders or even taking him down. I don't think he'll be able to take him down, uh, but uh, you know he's going to have to figure out a way of nullifying Anders's power, um, you know, without being able to take him down. And I think it's going to come in the clinch position, and in the clinch position is also where he got knocked out by Brad Tavares with that beautiful uppercut. But he's got to be careful. Like I, I, it's hard for me to see him you know, for 15 minutes sticking on the outside and, and landing shots on Anders while still winning the fight without getting clipped and possibly getting hurt, rocked and dropped. Um, so I, I'm not totally understanding the minus 140 on Christoph Jotko here. With that said, I'm not, you know, super enthralled with wanting to bet Eric Anders here better than plus 120, plus 130. Uh, this fight is a pass for me. You know, I could see both outcomes. Uh, I don't, like, I don't really believe in Anders's power to, you know, if he hits, like, one shot, it's going to absolutely put him out. Um, you know, he doesn't have that Nico Price type of power, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, there is a good chance that he can land on the chin of Jotko. And, uh, but then there's also a chance that he gets outpointed uh, with Jotko continuing, continuing to stay on his bicycles, continuously moving, uh, landing leg kicks here and there, then blitzing in with a one-two every now and then, and then, and then getting back out. He needs to be very, very uh, efficient with his movement and his striking. Yeah, it, it's tough for me to pick a side either way here. Um, you know, uh, with Anders, he, he's coming off that Gerald Mearshart fight, which he kind of got hurt, hurt uh, late in the fight. Uh, so we've seen, obviously, fighters that aren't primarily strikers kind of uh, outstrike Eric Anders as well, too. Not really outstrike, but like do damage. And I think Jodko could have some uh, success there too. But I'm very intrigued with what his approach is going to be in with this fight, considering the last two performances that he's had. Um, yeah, it, it's tough. Like it's either Eric Anders's power or Christoph Jodko's, um, you know, his his uh, his point moving or sorry, his point fighting style uh, where he stays on the outside. It's hard for me to go up against a guy who has a tattoo of Vegeta on his arm, uh, just being a big Dragon Ball Z fan from back in the day. Uh, but you really got to look at fighting styles and and risk and reward of both guys in terms of what they need to do to implement their game and still come out with a victory. Um, fuck, I, I think I'm going to have to... 
I think I'm going to have to go with Anders. Uh, I, I find it hard that Jotko is going to be able to nullify him with the clinch for 15 minutes uh, without eating some big shots from your boy. So I'm going to go with Anders by third round uh, KO. Maybe it's a little bit of a, a clinic for Jotko leading up to that third round. But I, I could absolutely see a, a point in time where Anders lands that punch and puts Jotko out. But I'm not betting either side here. There's just not enough in, of an argument on either side. But I'm going to go with Anders here. Again, nullifying the clinch game, uh, keeping this fight on the feet, uh, being the f- stronger guy for sure. Um, might have a little bit of speed um, advantage for the beginning part of the fight. Uh, but yeah, technique-wise, his, just, his striking just isn't uh, at the level of Jotko's. But his power is definitely way more than Jotko's. And all Anders is going to need uh, is a couple good strikes that he can land throughout the fight and then eventually uh, wear on Jotko and, and put him out. But again, I, I even as a Hail Mary parlay uh, piece, I'm, I'm overlooking both of these uh, aspects here. And I don't know if it's going to go under 2.5 or over 2.5. But if it were to go under 2.5, it's probably Anders by KO. So I'm going to go with Anders by uh, by third round KO, uh, but totally passing this fight. Dan Ige versus Edson Barboza. This is the third fight from the top. And in regards to odds, we're talking about minus 140 for Edson Barboza, plus 130 for Dan Ige. Let's start off with Dan Ige. In my opinion, since his Dan, Danny Henry fight, he's really turned a corner. And he's on a five-fight winning streak. But what has really attributed to his streak, in my opinion, is his, is his belief in his hands. Uh, we know he has a good jiu-jitsu game. That's kind of uh, what he brings to the table right off the bat. But his confidence in his hands and the, the his ability to throw with so much confidence and power has allowed him to open up the rest of his game and kind of allowed his opponents to start like backing down in a sense. Um the Danny Henry fight was pretty quick, uh, where he hurt Danny Henry, quickly swarmed him, and then eventually got the rear naked choke. Uh, in regards to the Kevin Aguilar fight, that was a little bit of a closer fight. Kevin Aguilar had a little bit of success there, um, but for the most part, Danny Gay was really putting it on him from the get-go. He was a little bit faster than Kevin Aguilar. He had a little bit better uh, control on the ground, um, and he was able to reverse and get out of bad positions if he ever found him in there. Uh, in the Mursad Bektik fight, split decision lost her, and that was actually a fight where I believe I had uh, lock of the night money on Mursad Bektik and yeah that one was a little bit tough to watch that's how you can tell that Bektik has really uh you know turned a corner in terms of uh where he's really good at and um you know his potential is starting to really sink and Dan Ige really put it on him in that fight um I was uh, I was kind of surprised that Ige was able to get him uh, down in that first round uh but it seemed more so like a slip up on Bektik's part Bektik's part uh which allowed Dan Ige to get that position um in this fight against Edson Barboza, uh, the one style that we've always seen successful against Barboza is somebody that continuously pressures him, keeps his, keeps him on his back foot, and doesn't allow him to really get set in terms of, um, you know, actually getting his shots off uh, and his kicks going. I think Danny Gay can actually bring that type of style here against Edson Barboza. I think he's going to continuously be able to walk him down, throw power shots, um, as long as he doesn't get you know, uh, demoralized by any of the leg kicks that Edson Barboza ends up landing here and there, uh, it should be issues for uh, Barboza. I, I don't think that Ige will really get him down that easily. I think he'll have to work on uh, Barboza a little bit on the feet, kind of tire him out, push him up against the cage, and really work his body to eventually get that takedown probably in the second or third round. 
But yeah, it, it's really tough to see what kind of shape that we're actually going to get Edson Barboza in. You know, this is the first time he's down to 145. He made 145.5 or 145 or 146, I believe it was. I, I can't remember, but he weighed in this morning, didn't need the towel or anything like that, but he looked like he had like negative 2% body fat. It's insane. Uh, but somehow he made the weight good for him, uh, doing good work over there with the ATT guys. Um yeah, it, it's just, it's so hard to cap whether we're going to get a good Edson Barboza or whether we're going to get a, a completely shot Edson Barboza. The the closest thing we have to uh, a comparison or something that we can relate it to is when Jose Aldo just recently fought Marlon Moraes uh, in his first fight down at 135 pounds. Uh, he looked great. You know, he looked a lot better than a lot of people gave him uh, uh, credit for. Uh, and even in that third round, he was still able to really walk down Marlon Moraes um, you know, even though he didn't land the best shots, and in my opinion, Marais won that third round, I was still impressed with the fact that he was able to go, uh, you know, a solid 15 minutes without really showing uh, too much issues for gassing. Edson Barboza, on the other hand, we've seen him kind of gas later in fights, uh, you know, previously. Uh, so this might even be a little bit worse of a case for him to to be at 145, uh, you know, draining himself even more. Who knows how much he's going to be able to replenish. Yeah, it's tough, like going down to 145 uh for the first time during something like this as well uh where his training may have been affected in a certain way it's there's, there's too many question marks uh the only way that i would lean here honestly is dan Ige. um i never thought i would actually say that especially against a guy like uh, barboza but there's just too many unknowns uh personally i'm gonna pass on this fight uh the plus 130 on Ige is a little bit uh you know it's intriguing that's for sure uh, the prop for him inside the distance may be even better one. I think I saw one of my buddies over there play uh, uh, EA by KO or a TKO uh, at plus 550. I think that's a little bit of value uh, if that's something you're looking at. We can definitely see EA go out there and probably get a later finish, continuously staying on Edson Barboza, and, uh, you know, albeit him staying away from the leg kicks and, and, and still keeping his confidence up, he has a damn good shot of winning this fight. I'm not I'm not completely counting Edson Barboza out, which is why I'm actually going to be passing on this fight. But I do think that Ige has the recipe to actually uh, pressure um, and potentially break Edson Barboza later in the fight if Barboza is really not able to 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 truly recover from that weight cut. You know, the, the Barboza's signature win as of late has to be his Dan Hooker fight, where he pretty much battered him for a solid 12 minutes before finally hitting him with a body shot and dropping him with that but the Gaethje loss was a really tough one for him that was one of those fights where uh you know the pace and pressure really caught up to Barboza uh, early in that fight it was it only took two and a half minutes uh you know but Gaethje was just on the gas pedal the entire time the Paul Felder loss was a little bit interesting you know Barboza uh, it was close it was a split decision loss Felder landed some good shots uh the one mistake Barboza probably made in that fight which you know on the outside seems like a bit of an advantage uh was the takedown that he got on Paul Felder and then Paul Felder just rips his face up from the bottom so that didn't really help his case um yeah, I don't think we're going to see Barboza try to take Ige down here. I don't think that uh, we're going to see Ige uh, be successful with the takedowns initially, uh, but a little bit, maybe over a round and a half, we'll see him get a little bit more successful with that, continuously pushing and uh, pressing Edson Barboza. You know, Ige seems to be a pretty uh, intelligent guy, pretty smart guy. He's a, a manager as well, too. He works for Dominance MMA under Ali Abdelaziz. Um, he seems to, again... His fight IQ seems a little bit there. So just studying Edson Barboza, you got to think that, 
you know, putting your foot on the gas, staying in front of uh, our Barboza's face, either being completely in or completely out. Don't just stand out there and wait for Barboza to really get in his game. Um, whenever Barboza throws something at you, you throw back, you counter. You always be first. That's the way that Dan Ige wins. If he's first, sticks that jab in Barboza's face, stays on him, he should definitely win this fight. And he should technically have a cardio advantage here uh, due to the fact that he's not you know, making his 145 debut, nor does he look like he has negative 2% body fat. So uh, I like Dan Ige here. I'm going to say by third round stoppage, probably TKO or a submission, uh, but I'm not confident enough to actually bet it. Um, but, but I do like Dan Ige here until we see Barboza truly at this weight class. And this is going to be his first test. And this is a legitimate test. Ige is no, no, no slouch either. Right. So if Barboza goes out there and, uh, I think best case scenario, best case scenario for Edson Barboza here is to go out there and get a 15 minute dominant decision victory, showcasing that he can keep his cardio up, uh, keep his punches coming, keeps it, keep his kicks coming, uh, keep the pace up. Um, that should definitely help him, uh, you know, allow people to be more sold on Edson Barboza at 145 pounds. But yeah, too many question marks. I I, I don't see the reason to, to waste money on this fight, uh, but I'm going to take Dan Ige by third round TKO. Claudia Godella versus Angela Hill. This is the co-main event of the evening. Minus 200 roughly for Claudia Godella, plus 185 for Angela Hill. So I think there's a lot of recency bias going into this fight, hence why the line is as close as it is. Probably should be closer to minus 300, minus 350 for Claudia Godella. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, two things. Uh, the over-exaggeration in terms of Claudia Godella's poor gas tank, um, I think that's being a little bit blown out of proportion here. And then secondly, the recent run that Angela Hill's been on, you know, completely dummying and handling uh, girls that should technically be 105ers compared to 115ers. So let's start off with Claudia Godella first and foremost. She's coming off uh, a win over Randa Marcos in a fight that was, you know, kind of closely contested because they were just staring at each other for pretty much the whole fight. Uh, I'm not sure what it was in terms of Godella wanting to go about it that way, uh, but uh, she still came out on the winning end, so so big big ups to her in, in that. In the Nina Anzaroff fight, you know, she was able to get Anzaroff down in that first round, and then in the second round, she seemed to have a little bit more difficulty getting her down. She did get her down at the end of the second round, uh, but uh, Anzaroff had done already too much damage on the feet uh, to really, you know, warrant a victory for Claudia Godella. In uh, the Karolina Kovakovic fight, that's a fight where, you know, somewhat similar with Angela Hill in terms of the person being primarily a striker. Um, you know, she was able to get Karolina down re relatively quickly and then get the rear naked choke to get the victory there. The Jessica Andrade fight is a little bit harder to, you know, relate to Angela Hill just because we know that, you know, Andrade is kind of like a John Lineker style of fighter, whereas Angela Hill is more so a pick and pop and move as much as possible, keep the activity and the, the, the pace up as much as possible my my one uh you know so it, it's pretty obvious claudia godella's path to victory here is more than likely to get this fight to the ground she has a, a very significant advantage when it comes to submissions and uh, and just the grappling game uh, angela hill has made a little bit of improvements in that area however i don't think it's at the level of claudia godella um 
you know, with with Gladella, um, like I'm talking about in terms of the the blown out of proportion gas tank, and the Nina Ansaroff fight, Ansaroff just did a really good job of keeping uh, Gladella off of her. I don't know if Hill will be as successful. You know, Ansaroff is a, a, a little bit stronger than Angela Hill. She has slightly better grappling as well too. Um, with Angela Hill, she's a little bit easier to take down. You know, the uh, takedown that Randa Marcos got on her was like an inside trip, beautiful little uh, move there, but. Uh, I still have seen her getting taken down from head and arm throws, and that's probably the most like generic and and uh, stereotypical takedown out there, at least for women's MMA. Yet she's still falling victim to that. Um, when Angela Hill is coming in and letting her shots off and throwing her kicks every now and then, she's still leaving her ex- herself exposed to getting taken down. And if she's not minding her P's and Q's and like staying on the outside and just getting in and getting out, she's going to get taken down. And I don't see uh, an instance where, you know, she doesn't get taken down in the first round or the second round. Uh, and, you know, even if Claudia Godella is not able to generate some sort of finish in those first two rounds, I don't think that Angela Hill's power is anything crazy where it's going to overwhelm Claudia Godella and she's going to get a finish in the third round. Uh, like I said, the, the recency bias regarding Angela Hill uh, is based off of her beating women at 105 pounds. And yeah, I know I had a little bit of uh, dog money on Loma Lukbunmi last time around, but I thought she would be able to perform a little bit better than that. And Angela Hill showed that she was a stronger fighter in there, uh, strictly due with strength too she was able to get Loma down a couple times control her in that fight and same with the Hannah Cyphers fight she was able to get her down and then eventually got a ground and pound finish in that fight the Ariane Carnalosi fight that was mainly a stand-up fight where Carnalosi was just looking for that bomb was not able to get it and then the Xiao Nanyan fight is you know Angela Hill pretty much got outgunned there um yeah, I truly believe that Goodell is going to be able to get this fight to the ground. I think she'll be able to handle Angela Hill there. And I don't think she has to worry about any type of, any type of a, a finish in that third round either. So, man, minus 205 personally is what I bet on. I put 2.75 units on Claudia Goodell at that minus 205 price. And I think it's more like way more value than possible. Um I'm hesitant, I'm slightly hesitant in making her a full lock of the night play strictly due to like... You know, Angela Hill, if if she is somehow able to stay out of the grasp of Claudia Godella uh, and then just somehow, you know, outpoint her that la- the last two rounds, that's my only concern. But I don't see that. Like, uh, Claudia, like, everybody's making it seem like Claudia Godella has the worst gas tank out there. I don't believe that. She was still kind of in that Nina Ansaroff fight in that third round. And then she was doing decent in the third round of the Rhino Marcos fight. Again, a fight that did not have any, uh, not as much activity, so it didn't really drain her gas tank or anything like that. But I think that, uh, you know, the, the it's just blown way out of proportion in terms of how gassed Claudia Godella really gets later on in the fight. So I think she'll have relative ease in terms of getting Angela Hill down there. And then she's really going to show off her strength there too. And she'll be able to handle Angela Hill on the ground. I think she'll either get like a, an arm triangle choke or or a rear naked choke of some sort. But I truly see her getting the submission. I see a lot of people out there wanting to play the decision prop for Claudia Godella. I would rather just stick to the straight. Like yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure that you know, she, she'll just grind out Angela Hill. Like, obviously, that's the way I see her beating her. But uh, she could absolutely get the submission, too. Angela Hill's uh, submission defense isn't the greatest. Like, it's decent. Uh, she's starting to throw up submissions of her own off of her back, too. But, again, it's not to the level of Claudia Godella. Uh, there's a reason Claudia Godella is one of the top women in the world. Angela Hill is just on a nice little three-fight winning streak. 
this is where it stops. This is where she starts finding the top of the top. And Claudia Godella is just not going to let this one slip away from her. I love Claudia Godella in this spot, especially around that minus 205 range. I said I'd bet, uh, I said she has value up to minus 300, minus 400. You know, if you can't get better than minus like 220, minus 230, I would just stay away from it. But the minus 205, that's way too uh, too enticing for me to pass up. So I'm going 2.75 units on Claudia Godella to win this fight. Uh, I'm going to call it first round submission. Um, but you know, there is an opportunity that she can grind it out for three rounds as well too. But, uh, yeah, don't, don't buy into the Angela Hill hype. Uh, if she comes out of, comes out of this fight victorious, then maybe you buy the Angela Hill hype, but she's not going to go out there and finish Claudia Godella. That's, that's just my two cents. So once again, I got Claudia Godella to win by first round submission. Um, and lastly, I went into this fight wanting to bet Angela Hill, especially when her price got above like plus 180, plus 200. I'm like, there's got to be value on Angela Hill here, right? But after watching the tape, you know, the, the, there's not, she, she hasn't fought anybody uh, to the level of the grappling of Claudia Godella in a while. Um, you know, Randa Marcos was the last one that you could really say. And I would say Claudia Godella is a better wrestler and, and has better top control than her too. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm siding with Claudia Godella here. She's definitely worth the minus 200, minus 220-ish. If that's the highest you can get her at um, or the best you can get her at, I would definitely pull that. Uh, but yeah, Claudia Godella by first round submission. All right, let's move on right into the main event. We got Alistair Overeem versus Walt Harris. As we all know, the main storyline going into this fight is Walt Harris's, uh, you know, the unfortunate tragedy that he had to deal with uh, on October 23rd. Uh, the only reason I remember the exact date is due to the fact that it was like a day after my birthday that it had actually happened. But that's the day that they, uh, I believe, they filed the missing persons report. And then a couple of days later, we find out that, you know, Anaya Blanchard was uh, murdered, whatever the fuck it was, kidnapped. Horrible, horrible shit that he had to go through. Uh, it was a stepdaughter, to be exact. But very horrible stuff that Walter Harris had to go through. But a lot of people are taking, um, in my opinion, like, like there, there's got to be a little bit that you can take from it in terms of the motivation that Walter Harris has to really go out there and, and fight. But the MMA gods don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Uh, he is the favorite, and I completely understand that. And the only reason there's a plus money sign beside Alistair Overeem's name is the fact that his chin may or may not be able to handle the power of Walt Harris. Walt Harris's last two fights, we've seen him go out there and absolutely demolish his opponents in Alexei Olenek and Sergei Spivak. But Alistair Overeem is another type of striker. Again, the only asterisk that's there for Alistair Overeem is his chin. And if his chin, you know, even stays around a little bit and he's able to eat the, the, the power shots for Walt Harris off the bat, he should be able to take over this fight in a relatively easy manner. It wasn't a lot, it wasn't too long ago where, you know, um, Walt Harris was, uh, was still seen as a guy that wasn't really going to make it in the UFC. Um, he was minus 225 against Daniel Spitz. He was minus 225 against Andrei Lovsky, which he ended up winning. Minus 170 against Sergei Spivak. And then minus 175 for Alexei Olenek. So if you're telling me that he's only minus 135 to, to Alistair Overeem, that's that's a little bit crazy to me. Um, we did see him go three rounds against Andrei Arlovsky in a fight where it seemed like he really shut down Arlovsky's game with a lot of feints. You know, Arlovsky didn't want to get hit by anything. Walt Harris landed enough shots here and there. But the majority of that fight was Andrei Arlovsky kind of just moving backwards and scared of the, you know, the feints that Walt Harris was really throwing at him. I think uh, Overeem, once he starts to get the timing down and all that, he'll be able to initiate the clinch position, and that's where he's going to start raining off his knees, which are still very deadly, even after, you know, 60 fights or whatever he's had up to this point. Um, that's still a very, very uh, strong point of his game. 
it, it's it it just comes down to his chin. If he can if he can weather that initial storm from Walt Harris, this fight should be in the bag for him. And personally, like this is the only reason I'm not betting on him because I did bet on Alistair Overeem or I bet on the under one and a half in the Overeem and Rosenstrike fight strictly due to the fact that I'm like, okay, if Overeem gets him down, he's probably going to submit him because everything that we've seen in the past for Rosenstrike is that he's pretty much a fish out of water once it hits the ground. Uh, and Alistair Overeem, you know, mainly known as a kickboxer, has plenty of submission victories on his record too. The very, he's very well versed in the jiu-jitsu world, but he wasn't able to pull off the submission victory over Rosenstrike. That's what makes me a little bit hesitant here in terms of thinking that he's going to be able to get Walt Harris down and pull off his submission. Harris, you know, still very strong, should have uh, a decent shot of getting back to his feet if Rosenstrike was able to as well. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's all close quarters. Uh, that that's the path to victory for Alistair Overeem here. He needs to get in tight. Uh, he needs to land his knees. Takedowns would be very helpful. We saw him really work on that takedown game, especially when he, uh, right after he lost to Curtis Blades, he went to go over and train with Curtis Blades in Denver. Uh, and then the next fight was uh, Sergey Pavlovich, and landed the uh, he he got Pavlovich down and then finished him from full guard. Managed to generate immense amount of power from the guard alone just to put Sergey uh, Pavlovich out. So that's something that we can't really overlook. Um, I'm not sold on Walt Harris's game off of his back. The guy really has no jiu-jitsu, um, but we haven't really seen too much of it other than when he got submitted by Fabrizio Verdum. Uh, I like Alistair Overeem here. You know, it, it, like justice would prevail here if Walt Harris had actually come out and finished Alistair Overeem and he can dedicate this victory to his uh, late stepdaughter. But it's if Overeem goes into this fight knowing that you know, I don't know if the UFC would cut him. This would be how many straight losses for him now. Let me confirm that. I know he lost to Rosenstrike last time out. That that's one. So that'll be one out of three fights that he's lost. He's obviously beaten Sergey Pavlovich and Alexei Olenek uh, before that. But yeah, it, it's tough for me to be like, okay, Walt Harris or Walt Harris is for sure going to go out there and starch over him. You know, I I don't want to pick either side here. I don't want to bet the over under. Um, you know, the, the motivation that Walt Harris has coming into this fight, it's hard to cap that. Like, sometimes it might fuck with people too much. Some people might just, you know, it might give them too much adrenaline and they just go out there and they try to go for a finish and they don't get a finish and then Overeem's going to be able to take over and, you know, land consistent body shots, do body work, really suck the energy out of Walt Harris. Again, if it wasn't for the the chin of Alistair Overeem, this fight would be capped ma significantly differently. Like Overeem would probably be a minus two fifty, minus three hundred favorite if it wasn't for his chin issues, and that's hard to cap. We don't know. Sometimes it's going to be there. Sometimes it's not. And Walt Harris, big. Uh, he's fast, he's athletic, he could definitely land on the chin out of Alistair Overeem, but Overeem, you know, he needs to do a good job of. Um, avoiding the big shots he was able to avoid the big shots of Rosenstrike for you know damn near five rounds uh before finally get clipped at the the last couple of seconds and in my opinion another ref may have let that fight go on slightly longer which would have allowed over him to uh you know to 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 survive those four seconds uh to actually get the the victory here and if you guys really remember that when Rosenstrike landed that punch he kind of just walked off and kind of forced the referee to stop that fight 
Yeah, I mean, obviously it doesn't look good that Overeem got like clipped and his lip was hanging off his face, but it's pretty evident that 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 uh, Overeem was you know on his way to getting back up, and he was on pretty much back up as soon as the referee stopped the fight. But you you gotta give the guy another four seconds. You know what I mean? Like he just worked twenty five minutes to get a victory here. Definitely would have won it on the judges' scorecards, in my opinion. Uh, but Rosa Strike ends up getting the light, late finish there. So again, I'm gonna pick Alistair Overeem to win this fight probably by second or third round submission um but i i have no confidence in in placing the money on over him uh it's burned me in the past um and but i have you know with walt harris you you can't really uh want to bet a guy like if he if he goes in there and tries to pull the andre Arlovsky game plan it's not going to work alistair over is a much better striker than uh, andre Arlovsky. um again if his chin holds up he should be able to outpoint walt harris in the striking battle uh win the fight in the clinch win the fight on the ground if he's able to get it there uh but it all depends on his chin and i'm not about to uh you know, stake money on Alistair Overeem's chin holding up or not. So I'm picking Alistair Overeem by second round submission. Um, you know, dogger pass, uh, or you know, if you want to hopefully vote for the right thing to happen in the world, you're going to bet on Walt Harris here. Uh, but I'm going to pass on it myself, as I said. So uh, Overeem by second round sub, and that is UFC on ESPN eight. I apologize for the late drop uh, on this podcast been a crazy week seven or sorry uh three events in eight days insane amount of studying that i got done in this last week um but thankfully well not thankfully i obviously i want an event on may 23rd as well too but they pushed it back to may 30 it seems so i'm gonna try to start cranking out uh the breakdowns for the may 30th card in the next couple days if you're a Patreon member, you already know that you get those breakdowns as soon as I finish recording them. So if you want, like, uh, I'll probably do Woodley versus Burns first. I'm not, I know it's not 100% confirmed yet, but that seems to be the, the fight that they're trying to headline for the May 30th card. But uh, I'll probably drop that early in the week coming up uh, and then slowly start getting content out so that you guys can uh, get a, get your hands on these breakdowns. And then I won't drop the last or the next MMA lawcast until Monday of fight week of May 30th. So whatever that is, May 25th, whatever the Monday is before that. Um, so yeah, if you want to get the content nice and early, hit up the Patreon, the links in the, um, in the description below. And uh, what else do I got? Make sure you guys check out the tape index. That's definitely been a big help for me as well. Uh, if you'd like to do your own due diligence in terms of polishing up on a couple of tape studying things and want to see things for yourself, the tape index is there to help make things a lot easier. We have everything that you need to help bet on MMA on one page. All the fight links, all the topology links, Instagram links, uh, UFC stats links, everything's on one page. So you literally just bookmark that page, click on the page, um, and then everything that you need is, is all right there. Very, very helpful and very, very efficient for your time too. So make sure you guys check that out. All right. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you guys hit the subscribe button on YouTube, uh, rate and review on iTunes. Cause that's slowly starting to, uh, blow up a little bit too. And that definitely helps me, uh, moving forward as well. So if you guys haven't done that, please do so. I would very, very much appreciate that. Uh, and lastly, MMALOTN.ca, everything for the website is on there. I use the website, I use Patreon and Twitter. Those are my three. That's the trifecta that I got in terms of, uh, you know, connecting with you guys as best as possible. So hit me up on Twitter at MMALOTN. If you have any questions or anything like that, I'd be happy to help you out. Or if you want to talk some shit, go ahead and talk some shit. I, I don't block people. I don't mute people either. So go ahead and trip, trip away. I don't really give a fuck. It's all positivity over here. All right. Good luck on the fights. 
Uh, we'll see you guys for the next episode of the Lockcast on the week of the 30th, whatever the fuck that is. And uh, yeah, good luck on you guys. Bye.